Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Uh, Noel, I'd ask how it's going, but... I'm pissed off about politics, and you're sick, so it's not been a great week here at the Televerse. <laughs> no, no, it hasn't, and I mean, I'm I'm sick, but with health insurance. Um, so. so there's that. There's that, provided through my employer, though, but still. Yeah, but that doesn't it. mean anything based on right. the thing that they are just past the house, so, you know. Yay. Yay. Uh, yeah, it's as anyone who follows my Twitter feed, I just had to get off of Twitter on Thursday because I was I was angry and I'm still angry. Um, but <laughs> so as anybody who's been following my Twitter knows, uh, this has been a infuriating week for me on a political level. But don't worry, it's also been a frustrating week on a TV level because, Noel, what happened this week? What got canceled? Sweet Vicious was unceremoniously axed um, by MTV, which was disappointing, but not really surprising. I <laughs> was surprised. Terrible. Oh, I... were you? No, I, I wish I had been surprised, but no, I wasn't surprised that it got canceled. Oh, uh, I was absolutely, because I just like assumed it would be back because it had such critical praise and it was a really good show and it seemed like it really would like fit if they want like some good press and like to have like those one or two shows that actually people talk about. So I expected it to ride that, like, bubble space. Mm-hmm. Know? Yeah, whereas I just went, there's so much commotion at the top of MTV's whole existence at an executive level that I was just like, they're going to cancel this because it was done under someone else's leadership. Yeah, they're going to do it. I can feel it. And then they did it. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. I heard they're they're going to shop it around. I would be I would be surprised if it got picked up, but I'd be very happy. Of course, we're big fans of Sweet Vicious here at the Televerse. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know who would pick it up, but um, I'd like for someone to do it. <laughs> hey, hey, Netflix, you need better content. Pick up Sweet Vicious. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, Netflix's latest series is one that I haven't seen yet, and we won't be talking about this week. Hopefully, I'll have a chance to see some of it by next week. That's Dear White People. I've heard some really interesting things about it, but I haven't had a chance to check it out yet. Have you had a chance to watch it yet? Are you interested in that one? I am interested, but I haven't had any time to watch it, and I mean, I'm not going to get to it uh, this weekend because um, i got to watch Sense8. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's a, like, there's so much... There's there's it's still it's may but it feels like it's still april on the premiere level yeah. we got, we have some other finales happening this week. we have a finale this week we have the underground finale next week so there's there's still at least a few shows are, are finishing off but yeah it's just it's, there's way too many shows one of those big shows of course is the handmaid's tale which we talked about last week we we did a, a deep dive on that one um this week we're doing a deep dive on the premiere of american gods but in handmaid related uh, news we had uh the show get renewed for season two so that answers that question that people were having it will be more than one season right which is uh again something i'm still not sure how i feel about um what they're gonna do with that so i'm still on the i guess i'll wait and see how this season goes and where you guys wrap the season up i guess i don't know like i i, I don't know how i still have no idea how i feel about this Though, again, given the fact that Moss's contract was for, like, five to seven seasons, I'm basically just like, this seems, this, 
this seems like a no-brainer on the part of Hulu. Um, again, also considering the fact that the uh, praise for the show has just been almost universal. Has has there been anything negative? I mean, I, I haven't seen a single negative review, I don't think. I'm Other sure than- there's... Yeah, go ahead. A former co-host, friend of the show, Simon Howell, does not care for it. To which I, to, and to whom I say quoi? Um, I don't. He has not elaborated. Hopefully, Simon, if you're listening, you know, like, put put your thoughts on Facebook there to go along with your I don't like it because I just doesn't does not compute, right, Noel? Oh, I'm so sad that we're never going to have Simon on the show again. Ever for anything ever. Well, we kid, we kid. But um, yeah. Well... We have- We'll have to see where we'll have to see where they cut the uh, cut the first season to to really get a sense of what a next season would even be. But um, certainly, that's more on the positive side, I guess. I think yeah, that little that is. question mark is suited the appropriate there. Less on the positive side, or just more on the uh, and that's Game of Thrones. HBO announced there's going to be four spinoffs of the show. I, I'm like barely watching Game of Thrones now. I mean, like I'll probably watch it when it comes back, but I'm not particularly excited about it. Um, I really don't care about four spinoffs. Yeah, but it's so exciting for HBO that they're going to give as much time as they need for these shows to kind of develop. And there's no idea if they're going to be spinoffs or prequels or sequels or different time periods it's going to be exciting for people who care about game of thrones okay yeah and it's not me because i stopped watching after the first season so i'm kind of like i'm excited for everyone else i'm not excited myself (laughs) yeah yeah the um there there's plenty in that world that they could mine for interesting stories sure but that the fact that it's a game of thrones spinoff is not interesting to me it would depend on who was writing it it would depend on concept it would depend on a lot of different things so i don't think this is the slam dunk that hbo wants it to be just sort of like westworld didn't catch fire the way they were hoping it would they're they're looking around for their next like gonna keep the show keep the money pouring in kind of show that like get all the fresh subscribers show and i don't know that this is going to be that so we'll see yeah i mean it's good to know that um that hbo functions exactly like you know a broadcast network that scrambles to like rip off its most popular things as quickly as possible yeah that does sound about right (laughs) yeah you know wow lost was really successful we should do eight lost clones oh game of thrones was really successful we should do nine of those yep we have the money for clones yeah yeah exactly yep well well you know who knows? Who knows? We've been wrong before. So maybe maybe they'll all be wonderful, Noel. Let's be positive. Maybe they'll be wonderful. Well, you'll let me know if they're wonderful. <laughs> Our last piece of news this week is, of course, the writer's strike that was looming has been averted due to some negotiations. So that is positive news for everybody. I'm glad that they could come to a, you know, a contract, an agreement. Yeah, no, it was really good news in terms of they got a um uh, a nice bump in uh, pay TV residuals, which was a good sticking point, especially for the comedy variety writers uh, who weren't getting that. Um, but then they also got like parental leave, uh, which is really cool. And then they also um, managed to secure some uh, pay bumps to cover what's been called SPAN, um, which deals with writers who um, end up working on like 
six to 13 episode order series, which are becoming increasingly more popular um, as we're all very much aware. Um, but the fact that those, they were still getting paid the same amount for those, but it's kind of difficult to make a living when you're jumping from show to show sometimes like that. So they managed to secure pay increases for writers who work on the six to 13 episode order series. So they end up making roughly the same amount they would on like a 22 episode. Um, yeah, like per roughly, episode. Roughly, roughly. Yeah. Right. Their per episode rate went up. Yeah. Um, which is good as well, which is like a sure sign of that I wasn't paying super close attention to this. But when all that came up, I just kind of went, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And I really wish I had thought about that sooner. But yeah. uh, it, it's totally exactly um, something that needed to be taken care of, considering that we all get really excited about 13 episode shows because they're tighter. They allow the writers to really dig in. And then we're just like, Oh, right, but they're not getting paid the same amount for those mm-hmm. that they would have been making just doing a churning out 22 episodes. And so this is this is a good thing, I think, across the board. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, as a as a member of a union, as someone who is very pro-union, um I'm very glad that uh this did not get as ugly as it could have, that it didn't actually lead to a strike and <sighs> hopefully we'll get more positive stories like like this as various contracts come up for negotiation yeah hopefully fingers crossed fingers crossed well at the end of the show like i already said we're talking this week about the american gods premiere um we had a lot to say we had a lot to say about that one Noel. we did and um uh just spoiler warning uh we were all we were both kind of not super on board Kate was a little more on board than i was yeah but yeah, yeah. Spoiler warning: it's kind of a it's kind of a flummox conversation. Yeah, yeah. So I look forward to getting uh, some some hate mail from yeah. people convinced we don't get it, which is fine. I would love to read that, so please send it in to televisionemail dot com. Um, but that's coming at the end of the show. We are going to have a somewhat truncated show because Noel's under the weather, and also I'm traveling for a gig, so we're going to just have one week in TV segment here, but um, we should take a break and and come back with it because there's plenty to dive in with. So uh, let's listen to a little music and we'll be right back with our week in TV. Yes, I understand that every life must be end uh-huh. As we sit alone, I know someday we must go uh-huh. Oh, I'm a lucky man to count on both hands The ones I love Some folks just have one, yeah This week in TV, Noel and I are going to talk a bit about the spinoff, the backdoor pilot spinoff for Blackish Liberal Arts, uh, which sees Zoe head off to college. Then we'll also talk uh, fresh off the boat, Cake v. Pie, and we'll have strong opinions on this. Um, or is it Pie v. Cake? I think it's Pie v. Cake. 
Pivy Cake. My bad. Um, then we'll talk Jane the Virgin Chapter 61, RuPaul's Drag Race Snatch Game, iZombie, Spankin' the Zombie, uh, Supergirl, Alex, The Flash, I Know Who You Are, American Crime, which had its finale, which is, of course, Season 3, Episode 8, and then we'll round things out with Handmaid's Tale, Nolite Bestardis Carborundorum. So, first up is Blackish Liberal Arts. When word first broke that they were doing, like, considering a spinoff for Zoe at college, uh, we were a little iffy. How do you think they delivered Noel with this backdoor pilot? Would you watch this show? I think I would probably give it a few episodes just based on this, though it also is something that for me needs a little bit of fine tuning and we can kind of dig into potentially what that fine tuning is. But the pl- the pieces are in place, I think, for a, a, a good type of show that exists within a blackish vein, but on like a younger skewing level. Um, but like having like Matt Walsh and Chris Parnell and the promise of Dion Cole just showing up to do his after hours marketing class, which is just the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds, seems really promising. Um, just, yeah, it, it seems promising. Um, I think I'd watched a couple of episodes to give it some chance to figure out its sea legs. Uh, but yeah. How did you feel about it then? Yeah, it was Okay. Um, some of the stuff didn't work for me as yeah. well as it should have. Uh, Chris Pownell and Matt Walsh are two very funny gentlemen. Mm-hmm. They're very funny dudes, but they did not work for me anywhere near as well as they should have, particularly Matt Walsh. There were some line readings that I, I was like, you guys didn't have another take in this. I mean, I sing his praises over in my reviews of Veep at, at the, the AV Club all the time. He's very, very funny, but I didn't... I, there was too much time there was so much sticky stuff there that didn't quite land for me and so uh you know especially because if i'm not laughing then i need to be it needs to be connected more into what zoe's doing um i would have also liked to have a stronger sense of any of the characters and also this is my sjw no sense of humor speaking but really yeah we're gonna take we're, we're gonna keep going after non-binary people and and make jokes about using they as a pronoun because that's really punching up show that's that's the let's let's like mock people asking that we respect their their gender identity and we use they to refer to them yeah sure let's make sure we we gotta fit in time for that Right. That was that was exactly what I wanted to talk about in terms of the tweaking is that it was really weird to watch that play out as just I was just like, you're a show that's pretty attuned to like a particular progressive sort of ideology, not like super progressive, but a progressive sort of ideology. And we're just going to just really just go whole hog and making fun of this and having Zoe and one other character go yeah we are not here for this and going oh oh okay we're just gonna oh this is this is a little this is a little weird coming from you blackish this is a little weird and i'm not, I'm not comfortable with that <clears throat> no well and, and there's comedy to be mined there there's certainly like some like this idea of you go to college and you meet people like those like like outside of your circle outside of the type of people you've ever met before and there can be discomfort at that. Okay, explore that. But don't just make a cheap punchline. That's that's stupid. And and that is not the kind of writing that the show traditionally does. Yeah, and I mean that the uh, campus tour guide is nothing but a 
liberal arts college punchline. That's all she is. That's all that character. Well, they, I should say, since she wanted, uh, he, they wanted to be identified yeah. as they, um, yeah. is it's just like, it's just a, it's just a punchline in a character form. And that's just, it, it was, it was really jarring. Um, almost as jarring as the really aggressive product placement in the episode, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, having just discovered Shake Shack, you know, I feel like I can give that that one to them. <laughs> and I, I don't think that that wasn't the jarring part for me. It was it was the emphasis on the um, on the car's brand uh, that was the yeah. that was the really jarring part. But again, aside, that's less that's frankly less of like an overall issue because Black has been doing ad integration for a little while now. But yeah, it's just it's something for them to like internalize and deal with if this gets picked up basically yeah any other thoughts on this one how'd you like the love interest how'd you like the friend what did you think about uh, matt walsh and chris parnell oh i liked uh parnell and uh walsh both in this um though it, it very much i feel like had the uh whole um comedy timing pilot sort of issues of figuring out what these two particular adults sound like um, and how they're going to figure into everything, which making Zoe liaison to um, Walsh's office is a good way to make sure that they both stay integrated. Uh, but I take your point about just like line readings or um, rhythms, basically, in terms of both of their characters, like kind of having an antagonism that doesn't necessarily fit into the show that was being presented here. And I think that was more of a conception issue than it necessarily was like a um, performance issue. Um, but as for the other two, uh, the love interest uh, kind of didn't fully register for me. Um, but I really liked her new bestie. Um, I thought um, showed a lot of promise, um, even though, again, like it fed into other issues of like, I'm going to I'm going to body shame this woman out of getting into my room. And it's just like, this is, again, really weird, guys. And mm -hmm. so I like the character overall, but again, it just comes down to a sort of where, wh what are we doing writing wise that we can, you guys can fix if you guys get picked up again type of thing. Um, yeah. But how did you feel about uh, the two uh, younger members of the potential uh, spinoff? Um, I thought they were okay. The... <sighs> They don't look like fr certainly they don't look like, fr like freshmen. Yeah, the the best friend looks like maybe a junior senior in college. This is the issue you have when they age everybody up to play high schoolers. Then when they're casting for college students, and as somebody who works with kids all the time, uh, that really stands out to me. I have trouble buying them mm -hmm. um, as co as college students, um, and certainly as like lost in the woods, you know, freshmen who are just getting a ha handle on the campus. Like, I barely buy Zoe as that. <laughs> so that, that was a bit of an issue. I did enjoy some of the, the humor with the love interest and, like, the, oh, no, no, I assumed you were leaving. You have to go now was pretty fun. The dynamic between the, the new the new bestie and the potential love interest was, was a lot of fun. But, um, yeah, so, like, better than it could have been hopefully they won't use voiceover on the new show i don't think that that is necessarily as um as integral a part of the show if it's not gonna make the same uh, issue-based comedy it's it's like approach the way that blackish has then i don't think you need the voiceover but i mean i think it was a solid episode yeah solid i think is like solid to slightly squishy 
um, a little soft around the edges. Um, but yeah, so uh, we'll see if it gets picked up. Um, I, I, I wonder how much like the Goldberg spinoff is going to factor into the decision making that they do as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Well, you said softer on the on the edges, and so that clearly takes us into a discussion of pie v cake. Because if you do not do your crust appropriately, your your pie will seep, and you'll have soft edges, and that's one of the potential downfalls of pie that does not come into play with cake. Where do you fall on the epic debate? Of pie v cake. I, I was really glad to have a zinger to throw out now um, in my stance on this issue because pie is indeed murder and cake forever. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because when you think about it, pie is murder. And I was so happy when, when Evan uttered that line. I was just like, oh, thank you. Now these Twitter debates, I have the ultimate go-to. Um, but no, I'm I'm very pro cake. I'm not a huge pie person. Um, uh, like the only type of pie that I'll eat is like the mousse kind of pies. So like chocolate or caramel pies with or key lime with just like a solid crust. But like I don't like fruit based pies because I don't understand that as a concept. You're heathen. Yeah, yes. apparently. Um, ah, so <laughs> pie person, you you like murder in your mouth, Kate. I see how uh, it is. Pie is delicious and amazing, and uh, everything Jessica argues is 100% on point. She doesn't have to resort to a ridiculous, uh, a, a ridiculous over-exaggeration to make her statements, and uh, therefore, clearly, she had this more solid argument. I also really enjoy cake, um, as long as it's a well-made cake. We have strong feelings about cake. And also pie in our family, as a baking family. Um, None of this box stuff. None of this store-bought stuff. Unless you're going to a bakery, cake's not hard, make it at home. Um, Of course, that's a hashtag first world problem to have, but um, yes. It was it was fun. It was this was a fun episode, and um, I think it's not necessarily one of their best, but it certainly was uh, entertaining. It was really delightful, and I, I was I was really enjoying like Evan and Jessica being sort of at odds and with one another, and watching Jessica especially just kind of like implode a little bit as she just went, "Yeah, he he returned everything, and I couldn't do it, but he did it, and I don't know what the world means anymore." It's just, it's really nice to see those parts of Jessica and to watch like her beloved youngest, um, um, well, most beloved child because Evan's her favorite, uh, dethrone her in that way and kind of betray her really in that sense. Um, it was just, it was really delicious. Uh, but then like watching her stick up for him with the debate team was, uh, really, really great as well. So yeah, again, it's not particularly like, big episode by any stretch of the imagination but it gave us an excuse to find out these um these deep-seated things about pie and cake between the two of us and realize that yeah we're just never going to see eye to eye on this because pie is murder well that's that's ridiculous sir that is an absurd assumption and or assertion i should say um the other thing i think the the one thing i think we can agree on though is that closing comic book was 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 really nice it it was super nice. I was really glad that that got as much play as it did because I was just like, oh, this is just going to be a quick one thing. And then it was just like, no, we went through like an entire kids grade issue of this. And I just went, 
this is this was really good. I really liked this, and I'm glad Stan Lee was very on board with it. Yep, yep, definitely. Uh, what did you think of Jane the Virgin chapter sixty one, and really our first honest close look at Fabian? I, I really liked this episode, <laughs> um, in part just for all the jokes that were made at Jane's expense of like being having to face off against someone who was who is behaving in the whole I'm going to wait for marriage thing and then just the sheer frustration that she felt at this uh was just really really great including just down to Raph going like I've got some sites I can recommend for you and it's just like <laughs> oh this show is so good and I I just I it shows just how much I really enjoy the current Jane Raph dynamic that this is something that they're joking about it's just like yeah yeah porn sites i've got a list and it's just like this is <laughs> this is where their relationship is and i really like that this is where their relationship is um but as for fabian i just i really i like this goofball a whole lot and he's he's sweet but not like in a saccharine sort of way like there's stuff going on that he's able to voice but he's just he's also just kind of a puppy dog still and i just i really like how he's slowly warming his, warming his way in and i i really liked how they drew really heavy parallels between like jane and raf's first evening together and then fabian and jane's uh evening together were not quite the same but very much like on that level and i really really enjoyed that whole stuff that was playing out between the two of them i i thought it worked really well and it, it was really surprising and i really enjoyed that the show can surprise me in that way now of course because i like fabian he'll turn out to be uh like a gangster or something and everything will go to hell again um but how did you feel about uh this uh this fabian with a couple of different layers to him i really liked this episode and i liked uh, I, everything they're showing about Jane through him and these different, you know, that they are, they've, they've shown his her deal breaker with him, which is that he's stupid. Yeah. Um. That she was very gentle about how she talked around that, but that's that's the issue. Um. But he all he is kind and he is he is uh he's fun and he's uh a very insightful about her relationship with Lena and he's very helpful with all like there's all these wonderful things about him and it's it's really great to see this show represent that like that it's every people are different this is somebody who's very different from Michael Michael is very could be very sarcastic could be very like even even petty sometimes um and, and this is you know he's he's very different from Michael and I think that's good for the show and it's good for for Jane. The trouble I have long term with them is I think he's too similar to uh at least so far to Rogelio. So they're going to need to come up I don't think it'll work um long term on the show. I think they need some to shake up the dynamics. But I think for now, why not? And uh we'll see we'll see what comes next. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he has like Michael had like a very Jane high level Jane IQ. But Fabian ends up having like a really high emotional IQ, which I think is really really like you said really cool to see represented. Uh but uh speaking of Rogelio, uh what did you think about Zoe and Roe? And a marriage proposal and that whole thing of, uh, do you feel like this is answering our like lingering problem with um, the two of them of like, 
guys, we we, we need you to do something <laughs> different um, for the love of God. Yeah. Well, they like no because this is nothing that can't easily be undone. And even if they got married, it's not something that couldn't easily be undone on the show. So what we need to see, at least as far as I'm concerned, uh, from them is like let's just put a stop the, with the question mark. So if they do get engaged and get married, and they're just solid from now on the comedy comes from other things the comedy comes from other questions and we don't do any more merry-go-round with the two of them then awesome i thought it was a really cute scene of the proposal i thought that was really lovely and um fits for them though i'm curious who she got to do like exploiting the the crew again exploitation (laughs) happening on this show within a show (laughs) yeah um, but I thought it, I thought it was really sweet, and hopefully it's something that they will stick to. Even though, as telenovela based, there's no reason that they have to. Right, and I, I agree with you. In so far as that this is something that they really need to commit to for me to be like excited about it. Um, even if like the proposal did kind of make me a little bit misty, um, mm-hmm. because it's so sweet and it's so nice, and it's. I, I liked how again, like it, Camille can just turn on a dime from being really upset uh, with Abuela and then going, "Oh, she's proposing to me!" <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, and let's have more ladies proposing to their you know significant others on TV. Yeah. It's nice to see that that uh, expectation reversed. Yeah, and also like it's something that Rogelio is just really in for. Like he's excited about it. And which is yeah. perfect, I think, for that character. Now, the last thing we have to talk about, there's other things we could dive in with, but I feel like the last thing we really need to talk about is what we get with Alba and and her romantic interest, whose name I Jorge. escapes me at the moment. Jorge, yes. Um, so I'm very glad, personally, that we discover he's undocumented and they're talking about ice raids and they're talking about, you know, the what it feels like to be someone, you know, deportation adjacent um it wouldn't be a stretch to say abuela could get deported her green card status could be revoked and and she could get deported if somebody decided she she does not feel secure and i feel like that's appropriate and and getting into this conversation with jorge and then all the different things that opens up for the show i'm really glad that they're going back to that well yeah, and even if I felt like the Jorge um, uh, undocumented status was sort of shoehorned in to make the ice raid ice raid storyline a little more relevant um, and pressing, I think uh, like a way to spur um, Alba into action um, by marching and that sort of thing um, beyond just talking to um, Mateo about it, that it still really worked and it was still again showcasing Jane's commitment to making sure that this is a conversation that is being reflected in television. And uh, that, that I think made up for like any of my complaints about it being feeling a little shoehorned in for me, but the whole process of also talking to Mateo about what this means um, again, like mirroring something that we didn't talk about in the comedy uh, earlier in the comedy section, but like having Jake and Amy try to explain what racial profiling is to Terry's kids um, mm-hmm. felt again, really again, uh, shows that have within their premise, being able to talk about this kind of stuff and doing it in generally pretty deft ways, I think is really significant that shows are making space for that. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm really glad to 
you know, have this come up here. I haven't seen this week's uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine yet, but oh well, I've I'm sorry I ruined it for you. <laughs> oh, you did not. I've I've heard what goes down. I just look forward to actually watching it. And any of these shows, like like you said, that can have this conversation should have this conversation as far as I'm concerned. And if they can make it funny and they're a comedy, awesome. And if they're not a comedy, we'll talk about American Crime later. <laughs> so, uh, next up, though, a few more laughs because we have Snatch Game. Uh, we've been sort of looking forward to, to this episode. I usually do. Uh, what did you think of how everybody did? Was this like a, was this a particularly exciting Snatch Game or was it just like another episode? Um, I, I, I thought it was kind of a flat Snatch Game, um, aside from the two standouts, which were... Um, <clears throat> Alexis as Liza and um, Sasha as um, Marlene Dietrich. Um, uh, both were, like, were well praised for being the standouts um, in this one. Um, and the fact that uh, Sasha made uh, Marlene funny and relevant within this particular uh, game was a testament to um, Sasha's skill, which, thank goodness, she did not go with her second choice because, no, that just would not have worked on any particular level of doing Judith Butler on Snatch Game. <laughs> yeah, no. As, no, that would not have worked. As much as I occasionally enjoy a good Judith Butler joke, I don't think that that would have worked as just evidenced by Rue going, yeah, no. But the rest of the game just, I felt like, really fell flat um, in a lot of places. But I also agree... I can't remember if it was Michelle or Ross who were just like doing previous drag queens from the show. Not really a thing that you, I, I, it doesn't, it, it shouldn't be a thing that you're allowed to do basically. And yeah, that was Candace Kane. I think who said that. Oh, was it? And Mich okay. Michelle agreed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They were both talking about it. Okay. Yeah. yeah Cause it, it feels like cheap as much as I enjoyed, like even not having a sense of, um, since I didn't watch last season, um, Nina's riff on um, uh, Jasmine Masters, was it? Yeah. yeah. Which, just as a character presented, I thought was really funny without even the context. But I agree that it's just like, this is something that I, I just don't think it's... It, it feels almost too easy type of thing. Like, bring out something, do something really difficult, or do a impression that you've got, like, in the bag sort of thing. And so, but... It just felt weighed down by literally everyone else. So, like, um, the Gigi impression just didn't go anywhere. Um, and um, Cynthia's um, Sofia Vergara was just... Um, it's horrible. It was horrible. Like, one of the worst ever. Yeah, no, it was just aggressively not good. And every time they, every time they cut to that, I just went, no, 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 no. Um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of a flat snatch game for me, apart from those two standouts. And even though I think Valentina, um, peaked really quickly with that Steve Harvey joke as Miss Columbia, um, it was a very good joke and it was a very good peak. Um, but everything else after that was just kind of a blah for me. Um, but how did yeah. you feel about it? Did you, did you feel the same or were a few other folks standing out to you more so than what I was getting from it? No, I'm on the same page as you, and, like, Valentina's Miss Columbia was, was funny, but the thing is that you, there's only one joke right. you can do with that person, and so that's why you shouldn't choose them. So, because the, the, cam the camera's going to come back to you, the show, the episode's going to come back to you several times, and you have to be able to do more than one thing, um, and at least two, at least two. Liza, you know, like, Alexis didn't do much as Liza, 
But there were a couple gags. There were some references. Yeah. There was some some physical comedy. Um, Sasha knows that she's not funny, which is why she did Marlena Dietrich the way that she did. And she didn't really try to be funny. And she let the, the dryness of that portrayal be what drove the humor. And, yeah, that's the thing. Even if you have a not great... Um, a not great impression or not particularly uh, mind-blowing person or celebrity you've chosen, as long as you're funny, we're not going to care too much. Uh, nobody was funny. Almost nobody was funny. And uh, I, I thought it was uh, fine. I enjoyed the episode. But, yeah, there were there was a whole lot of dead wood in the middle there. Yeah, there really was. And I, I think the episode also just wasn't helped by the Madonna challenge. Like, give me some context for this. Since, I again, I didn't watch last season, but apparently the Madonna challenge was just really <laughs> terrible last year. It was a fail. Yeah. So four people came out wearing the same thing. Okay. Right. I saw that clip. Four people came out wearing the same kimono. And so, like, you're watching the runway last season, and there, there are so many. It's like Night of a Thousand Madonnas, right? right. But then... There, I don't even remember how many contestants there. Are. I want to say it was like eight, mm-hmm. eight or nine, and half of them came out as the, with that same look. And it was like, guys, nobody talked to each other in the workroom. Nobody said, "Oh crap, I better have a backup." And the lack of creativity and the lack of ability to distinguish and set yourself apart just made it a complete flop. Right, but then it happened basically again here. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? If you got two different versions, I don't feel like that's as as bad also because there it was a I, I could be remembering this wrong but i want to say that the of the two people who repeated looks mm-hmm. one of them was a straightforward take and one of them was i'm black madonna this look. right and talking about like the different like cultural and social things that go with that which is at least having a point of view and a, like a distinction to it and taking that look and that identity for Madonna and making it your own through a more interesting lens. Like, at least there's something there. Last time, it was just straight up four different kimonos. Mm-hmm. Like, the exact same look. Okay. So, at least, at least there was something more going on. But I, I, I do take your point. You would think that they should have been able to coordinate that ahead of time. Like, there weren't any repeat Gaga looks. And right. that was not a coincidence. No. Um, they could have made that happen here. I feel like there was at least one repeat. Was there not? No. I don't think so. Okay. Maybe I'm thinking I don't know. that there Listeners was one. will tell But us. it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I liked some of the runway looks. I mean, I enjoyed, like, um, the uh, cheekiness, um, literally, of um <clears throat> uh Valentina's choice. Uh I thought it was really amusing. Um and again, like I, I really liked Sasha's uh take on uh it was erotica, right? Yeah. 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 It was really, really good, I thought. Um and kind of like stood out to me as another really good sort of Madonna choice. But yeah it... Especially because of the thematic unity between the two yes. in the episode. Right. Which I didn't think got quite enough credit. Yeah, I don't think it got quite enough credit either um and um but sasha was putting a lot of thought into both of these things and as like a through line and uh i think dennis o'hare was much more on board with what sasha was doing than literally everyone else um (laughs) even though like everyone i think was appreciating what sasha was doing i think dennis o'hare was like into it as like a piece of like single day performance art and mm-hmm. everyone else was just like, no, it's good. And Dennis O'Hare was like, no, guys, you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like I have to take it from there to iZombie 
from from Sasha's erotica dominatrix look ah, to ah. spanking the zombie. Um, as far as I'm concerned, this is an episode where Liv ate a dominatrix, a dominatrix brain, and there were a bunch of jokes about that. And I don't, yes, funny, whatever. And then Major took the cure, and that's like, and I was crying. Yes, <laughs> like, that's all I care about is that you were like, crying. <laughs> Like, the last few minutes, it was really so well done. I loved everything with Major and Liv. I loved the stuff we got with Ravi. And, like, cause, and, and having had the teenage girl run, like, you're totally my best friend, right? All of our best friends. And then to, you know, I like that the episode spent a few moments with him as well, realizing he's losing his best friend. And he already has lost his girlfriend through stupidity on the writer's part. But whatever. And so now he, Ravi's world is really just Liv now. Um, so his world is really diminishing as well. So I, I thought it was a terrifically done half of an episode after an, a fun standard episode the rest of the time. Yeah, and I agree. Like, I was a little bit worried about um, Dom Matrix Brain, um, just in terms of how that was going to be presented. But apart from, like, Liv's, uh, not Liv's, but Clive's, like, kind of eyebrow quirk initially out at all, um, it allowed itself to kind of play out. And it also just ended up being, like, oh, we're going to have fun with these two Rob Thomas regulars. We had Darren Norris and Ken Marino um, come back. and Well, we had Dan Norris come back um, as uh, Stormy, who's been, been promoted. Um, no, sorry, Johnny Frost, who's been promoted to um, lead anchor from Weatherman. Um, but two Veronica Mars um, folks come back and just basically have to play through these ridiculous things. And it, that basically allowed the entire thing to work for me. Um, but no, like, I'm so glad that you cried uh, with the whole, ma- all the major stuff. Cause I was just like bawling. Um, Cause it was really, really good. Like, I mean, the entire episode is just like really vague about where major is while they're deployed. Um, but mm-hmm. it's just like, you were just seeing like Robert Buckley just get sick and pale, but not in a zombie way, just pale, sick type of pale. And mm-hmm. it's just tugging at the heartstrings, and then he collapses, and he's just like, "Take me to the city morgue." And it's just like, "Oh no, don't take the zombie to the city morgue." Um, but then just everything in the bed, and like you said, with Ravi realizing that he's losing his BFF, and <clears throat> all of it was just really good. But also, just it's a to me, it's a real testament to the show that it's just like the they've never really overplayed the brokenness of the live and major relationship in terms of like, this was the ex fiance for a season and he's become significantly more to the show since the end of season one. But it's also just never like their dynamic has never been heavily defined by this and to have it all come rushing back in this last moment before it's going to go away from his memory was just, it was surprisingly effective for me. And I was really pleased that it was so effective. Yeah. It needed to be. And so we'll see what happens next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on. Supergirl. Talk about an episode that needed to be effective. Uh, I loved this one. I loved Alex being badass. I loved Alex inflating her pants, which apparently is a real thing. Yeah. Which is even cooler. Um, and I loved getting a lot of time with Maggie and a lot of time with Maggie and Kara. 
Uh, I thought that, 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 like, putting everybody else back burner, barely having win. Win is incompetent in this episode. We're supposed to pretend that this thing didn't happen the next time he's being a genius because he made some really stupid mistakes here. But he doesn't belong in this episode. And Jean should have been a little bit more prominent given his connection to, to, to Mag, oh, sorry, to Alex. But I was very glad that this was very focused on, on Alex, Kara, and Maggie. Um, no, this was really solid. And I say this as someone who is shocked by the fact that this episode was able to pull off a really good death trap episode because that's something mm-hmm. ridiculously hard to do nowadays. Um, and as some of like con- some contrivances aside necessary, like when being an idiot or this guy just being like Batman levels of prepared. <laughs> um, I rolled, but yes, yeah, sure. Right, sure, exactly. But the whole emotional thrust of the episode, like you alluded to through the character dynamics of Maggie and Kara, uh, figuring out like what their roles are between one another, but also as like people, but also as like law enforcement and superpowered vigilante who people really, really like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and figuring out how all of that fits. I thought it was really, really nice to see play out. And yes, Alex being just a complete badass, like, I'm going to tear into my arm with this credit card. And she's like, holy shit, this is awesome. I love um, her. That sucked. Yeah. <laughs> and no, so it's all. it was all really good. It was all really interesting. And it was all really, the fact that it was so emotionally driven while still having really good like plot beats to it. And also Greg Henry showing up for like three scenes to chew scenery. Um, was made for a really enjoyable episode, um, which is not something you would expect as it was like gearing up for like the end game of the season that it took like this quick moment to do its a plot that has literally nothing to do with Cadmus or Lena or, um, Daxamites or anything like that. The most that we get is Monel leaving with two slices of pizza from a disastrous second date, a uh, group mm-hmm. date, I should say, which is a terrific character choice of him just walking out with two slices of pizza. Um, but like, it's all this really good character emotional stuff. And I really like that it was framed within a death trap episode. Uh, so it was yeah. a really, really good episode. And I was really happy to get something like this right at the end of the season before we like ramp up to all like the season culmination stuff. Yeah. And really strong performances, especially mm-hmm. from from Kyler Lee. And I again, I don't have it in front of me, but the actress who plays Maggie, I thought was also terrific. Floriana Lima. The the little scene of her taking the laptop outside and how quickly everything changes in her voice and demeanor when she's not being viewed. I thought that all worked really well. It was no, it was really good, and it was a, it was good to have her like really have a chance to shine, um, considering that she had been g- given stuff to do each pretty much every other week or so but really a chance to like stand on her own here and that was really welcomed yeah and to validate that relationship is just as meaningful as the other ones we've been seeing so yeah yeah it was i think they they, they done good this week uh less successful uh the flash i know ah. who you are like the, the rest of the episode i guess was fine but like i mean come, I, I like ann dudek we talked about that last week yeah but Yes, oh, it's Barry. Nobody cares. (laughs) Right? Well, here's the thing is I I think I liked this reveal potentially a little more than you did. Um, If only because it felt very much like a 
literalization of the season's main theme, which is that Barry has been the big bad all season. And I'm not like talking in terms of he's been Savitar all uh, future Barry Allen has been Savitar all season, but literally our Barry Allen has been the big bad all season, considering it was just like, I created Flashpoint and then I undid Flashpoint and then I made all these people with superpowers and also Julian is a thing that exists in our world now, I guess, but I also caused an alien invasion and just all this sort of stuff. Like, I mean, everything this season has been Barry's fault and now it's he, the, the person that they've been like dealing with off and on dealing with air quotes all season has been Barry Allen. And I, I just, I kind of like the, obvious symmetry of that but i also acknowledge the fact that this is just timey-wimey flash nonsense that will likely be undone somehow or another that they'll stop this future barry allen from ever existing who the hell knows but just as like a season type thing i kind of like it as a button what do you think of the theory that we, we're going to end the season with barry running back to the night of his mother's death again and now being the barry that says no don't go save your mom because that we haven't seen that very yet we haven't seen him do that yet right and i wouldn't at all be surprised that, that something like that happens uh, <laughs> because that that's like that leads to like the other problem is is that for this to really work for me anyway is that barry needs to realize the present the here and the now is what he needs to change and affect and looking towards the past or looking towards the future is the thing that keeps getting him into trouble. Um, so being present in the moment is what he needs to be aware of more than anything. And that, I think, is what I really need for this thing to really pay off. Uh, whether or not the show will ever do that, because asking the, sh asking the Flash to not pay attention to the past or the future is sort of like asking it to stop breathing. Because mm -hmm. um, um, Barry Allen as a character is obsessed with the past, but also because of the time traveling stuff as a narrative, they're obsessed with the future. So they they just can't sit still, and I wish they would. Um, so we'll see how this goes. But I, yeah, I wouldn't at all be surprised if he just goes back and says, "Hey, man, don't eat those fries," and um, <laughs> is is exactly what happens. So yeah, <laughs> well. We will we will see. Um, what about American Crime? We had its finale oh. here, season three, episode eight. I okay. Based on your reaction, you you had a strong response to this. I did not care so hard when they wanted to give everybody comparatively happy endings at the end. I was like, oh, you guys are cheating. You don't get to do that. You don't get to be misery for seven weeks and then be like, oh, we gave you a happy ending. So it's all all that stuff that we put you through. A lot of it stupidly. It is it's okay because happy ending. Blech. That was my response still to like these last couple of episodes. Uh, I was deeply frustrated. Like I watched um, these two, the last two episodes basically back to back because I'd put off watching season of uh, season episode seven for a little while. Um, so I ended up watching season, uh, God, season episode seven and eight right after one another and just kind of went, really? This is, this is what we're going to do. Oh, Okay. Well, all right. Well, I wasted eight weeks. Thanks. Thanks, John Ridley, I guess. I, I, I don't know if you were busy developing your other show and just kind of handed the baton off to someone else. And 
that's why this didn't really work, or maybe you just really need more than eight episodes to tell this story. But this was just, or like actor schedule and availability resulted in this very weird, disjointed, too far ranging, but not um, connective enough story. And it was just, it was just like a mess. And it was very clear what was happening in that, in the house from the get go. Like I never once thought that Timothy Hutton's character was doing anything to the, um, the nanny. Cause it was yeah, just like, pair, it's yeah. yeah, the au pair. It was clearly Lily Taylor's character the entire time. And it was just like, okay, I guess, I guess we're gonna, we're gonna let this string play out for a little while. Okay. I don't care. I understand, like, the thematic perspective that they're trying to bring about exploitation and all of this. It had been something that I was really, as you know, and listeners know, I was very excited about from the get-go. And then it was just like, nah, type of thing. Like, like the whole trial montage cross-cutting just didn't click for me in any way, shape, or form. Uh, no, it just it didn't work at all, and I was really deeply frustrated. Well, and then they have the people that they killed off on the show in the back, like get like they're getting justice for them or something. It's like you did not earn that show, no. not even a little, not even a little. Mainly because I had to go. Oh, right, was that tail? Mm-hmm. It was exactly the problem. Is like I went. Oh, right, that's tail. Because it took me like literally twenty minutes to figure out who that was after the episode had finished. I went. Oh, right, that character from the first four episodes that we were really concerned about, and then. Uh, we stopped being concerned about. <laughs> right. Yeah. That guy. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was a really disappointing note to end on, especially after how much I really enjoyed, oh, well, that seems like a strange word to use, but season two, how much that affected me. Um, yeah. Yeah, this did not work, and yeah. Well, a bunch of really talented actors, but you gotta have more of a sense of a whole if you're gonna try to tell a thematic story the way that this was attempting yeah. to. Yeah, and this was deeply, deeply thematic. Um, and it almost, like, when you're doing something, like, really deeply thematic, the best way to handle that is not do mystery plots or anything, or even vaguely mystery plot-esque type stuff. And it's almost like do a sort of anthology show, but each episode just be this one particular aspect of this idea. And that mm -hmm. solves your problem right there. But no, we're going to do like a split sort of thing with Kamara as the runner, but as someone who doesn't sync up with either of the other two elements. Um, yeah. And it's just like, oh, okay. All right. Oh, okay. And I didn't, yeah. So, I mean, I can, I, all I can do is be frustrated and shrug at the same time, which is a weird sensation, but that's all I can muster up for this season of American crime in the end. Yeah. Well, a show that's doing thematic storytelling with really great plotting and character stuff so far is The Handmaid's Tale. And we get an Elite Best Artist Carborundorum this week. Uh, we get a mystery here. But again, it works <laughs> because the what matters is not trying to hide stuff from the audience. What matters is the journey of the character, you know, of, of June as she's discovering these things and trying to deal with her imprisonment. Right, and it's another really, really good episode, but it's also one of those episodes that I feel like the show is settling into sort of a quote-unquote like kind of breather episode coming off something really intense in the previous episode and then doing something not quite as intense 
or as aggressively intense. And then like the following episode is something that like leaves you in knots for like an hour. Um, but that may just be me. Like there's plenty of tension within this episode of watching June try to figure out a way out of her captivity of like, I can walk to the doctors. No, you're, you're really sick. Right. And it's just like, Oh, right. I've been sick. Right. Right. Type of thing. But then also just her, um, flashing back to stuff with her and Moira attempting to escape and the shock of trying to figure out where to go when there are no street signs anywhere, because that's how good the um, senior officials in Gilead are just like, oh, yeah, we're going to get rid of all those street signs and probably rename all of them uh, just so that we can wipe away everything and really disorient everyone. And it's just it's so good. Um, but and then to like have her be captured, but then moments of unity and catharsis within these failures is just so great and so terrific that the closing sequence is just really, really good. Yeah. The, 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 the little moment of performance as, um, as Moria has to decide to get on the train. Oh, and the little smile from, from Elizabeth Moss. Mm-hmm. June telling her you need to go. Yeah. Tearing up just thinking about it. Yeah. No, it's so good. And it's so powerful because you're just watching both of them do the calculus while this guardian talks to her and trying to figure out what they can do to get out of this. And then the realization that only one of them is going to get out of this situation. And oh, oh, Kate, breaking my heart. It's breaking my heart. Yeah. It's really, really good. The The balance of flashback to present time, I think, is working really well here. Because uh, there was some question of how much should they do in a given episode. And having her living in her memories, I think, is really effective. They, they There's enough action there to counterpoint the, the inaction as she's stuck, just, like, unable to leave her room. Until, oh, it's time to get rape day, so now we'll let you out of your room, you know. Um or go to the doctor and maybe Donnie from Orphan Black will rape you. Yay! Um, so so I think letting, showing June's escape, but also letting the audience escape from that a little bit with this more active and, you know, very, very bittersweet, but with some sense of hope to it, uh, storyline from, the, from the, the past, that balance worked really well. And we'll see what how they strike that balance moving forward with, before everything or time the red center you know but i i, I was struck by how, how well that works here and hopefully we'll get we'll get more time um, or like they'll continue to balance that as well i don't think they can keep doing that in the next couple of weeks we need to get back to keeping the narrative moving in the present but it really worked well here yeah no it does and like you said like the symmetry of the two sort of junes basically trying to figure out little ways of escaping um just it, it, it created a really nice um symmetrical experience on point counterpoint um sort of um perspectives on two ideas of escape and yeah it just it worked really really well and the show continues and we say continue as if it's been running for four weeks but it's actually only been running for two <laughs> um, it just feels like it you know right right so uh, 
four episodes in, it's doing really good work. And I'm just super excited to see how the rest of the season goes. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, You know, because having read the book, we know some of what's coming. um, And I'm really excited to see certain things now after this episode i was you know interested to see what they were how they were going to adapt the show after previous episodes as well but there's one specific interaction i can't wait to see now um and that's all i'll say i'm sure you know what i'm talking about (laughs) i do and i'm excited about that as well yeah so um any final thoughts on handmaid's tale or if not what wins your week in tv uh that's a really good question um oh that's tough um i think i'll give it to what did i really enjoy this week i don't know i think i'll have to give it to um handmaids and jane i'm gonna split the difference here and give it to Mm -hmm. both of them uh for fulfilling two very particular sorts of viewing experience needs and pleasures um but also offering uh good emotional levels on both so i'll give it i'll split the difference give it to both of them uh what about you well uh i think this week the leftovers award goes to the handmaid's tale though the leftovers Ah. was also terrific Lindsay (laughs) duncan showed up and uh again it was amazing and scott glenn it was a scott scott glenn episode all about his character and of course when you give scott glenn an episode he will deliver um and you you give Lindsay duncan a heartbreaking earth-shattering monologue she's also going to deliver in a beautifully restrained underplayed way um but i i will you know the handmaid's tale is really really good guys it's so good this week so i'm I'm gonna give it to the handmaid's tale okay well i look forward to the daredevil episode of uh the scott glenn daredevil episode then <laughs> yeah it's like a, it's, it's a daredevil uh, the, the 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 back um we, he kind of got one right didn't, didn't he kind of get a backstory episode in like season one yeah, no, uh, Stick got a kind of a back, back story episode. But that hey, he's going to be in The Defenders, so that'll be in a thing that happens. That that will be a thing that happens. Note, listeners, there was no question, no discussion between the two of us if the American Gods pilot was going to be in contention this week. Um, so shall we take a break, Noel, and let them hear why? Yes, we should. Yeah, Let's take a break, everyone, okay. and then, you know, get get your hot fingers ready to send us hate mail. We don't hate it. We just, you know, don't like it as much as we were hoping we would. Anyways, uh, let's take a break. Listen to the theme song for American Gods, and we'll be back with our deep dive on the on the season one premiere. So we'll be right back after this. I love you. Something feels weird. Shadow, we're going to be releasing you a couple of days early. There's no good way to say this, so I'll put it plain. Your wife, she died in the early hours of this morning. What would I call you if I was so inclined? Shadow Moon. What might I call you? What's today? Wednesday. Today's my day. I could use a fellow like you. You're my man now. You know who he is? Who he really is? He does not know our world. I'm easing him in. In my mind. They told me you died. Who said I died, puppy? Seems you have a choice. Either the world is crazy. Or you 
with me. That was the opening theme, or I guess just the theme song, opening credits, for the new star series, American Gods, much anticipated. Much anticipated by us, Noel, but also by fans of Gaiman, Neil Gaiman, fans of uh, Brian Fuller and Michael Green, fans of this cast. For quite a long time, I've been excited about it since last year's Comic-Con, and the the... The pedigree of the show, the plot and, and setting of the show, which is something we'll talk about here in a little bit, um, are certain things that have piqued my interest. The composer, Brian Reitzel, who anyone who's listened to this podcast for a while will know I really enjoyed the work of, particularly with um, regards to Hannibal, which he scored. All of these are things that had me stoked for the show. Then we heard early reviews from those... those um, <laughs> those lovely people with hashtag screener privilege for this show and uh everything i was hearing there had me even more excited and we heard from people who for friends of the show would seem to be like oh you're gonna love it uh so color me surprised noel when i finished the pilot and was like huh okay there's some really good stuff and there's some stuff that doesn't quite work and how are people saying this is a better pilot than Hannibal? Because this is nowhere near as good. Um, and I'm still excited. I'm still going to watch all of it. But this American Gods pilot has some real problems. I, I'm very confused by the reception I've been seeing or the reviews I've I've been reading for this first episode. I think some of that has to do with I have not seen a review yet written by person, somebody who's only seen one episode. But what that was my reaction to this one. What... What were you thinking when you watched this? And and am I just a bad Hannibal fan for not loving this the way that everybody else I know who who really enjoys the source material or the creatives or Hannibal or the idea behind it, any of that stuff? Everybody I know who has a reason to like American Gods seems to have loved this premiere. And so it's very puzzling to me that I am not in that camp. Well, um, at least the population is... Two. Ah, 
<laughs> Go um, team. I right. mind. <laughs> so I I was kind of underwhelmed as well. Well, whelmed, I think is better. Um, I wasn't blown away by it in any way, shape, or form. Um I think a lot of it I'm I'm trying to parse out how much of it was the fact that upon rereading the novel, I kind of went, Oh, this isn't very good. Yeah, I don't it's... like the no I haven't finished the novel. I was right. I was not very impressed by what I had read and with very specific elements of it. Mostly it's very, it's very young white guy. Um, and uh, so I had, just, when every woman became a sex object or defined by their male relationships, when it became clear that that was the case for everyone who wasn't in <laughs> a very old woman who was not, a potential sexual object for the main character uh that i i just stopped reading um so maybe is that do you think that's part of it oh i think it's part of it at least for me is that it tempered my expectations for what they could possibly do and from what i understand the first four episodes are a pretty um faithful adaptation of the book mm -hmm. um to which i promptly went oh well that's not a good thing <laughs> um uh, deviations aside, even um, from what they're saying that uh, like Bilquis will have a significantly larger part than her two scenes in the book. Anyway, um, so no, I agree in that this is not something I was completely floored by in any way, shape, or form. That it was something that I can't even chalk up a low-key reception to based on the fever I had while I was watching it. <laughs> I was very much just, this is fine and then i kind of also went wow this technical voice still seems really dated somehow which is really fascinating mm -hmm. and just all of it just seems like a very it almost seems like a very soft introduction to all of this which is odd um <clears throat> as opposed to just like getting really aggressive about it where uh in your face about what's happening and i understand that the book has a very languid slow play about getting around to its points um to its detriment it's so long it's so long um but it, it with eight episodes it's sort of a it's sort of weird to start off too slow oh that's interesting i think it, it's too fast yeah yeah, I I I think it's aggressively too slow. <laughs> See, because for me, uh, I was watching, and certain elements of it really worked well. Um, and well, don't worry, fans of of the show so far, we will get there. Um, but I was very struck by the funeral not really working to me, not affecting me, and I because I think they just jumped to it, and we're supposed to. I, I think we're supposed to, to care because we like Ricky Whittle. And, I mean, he's very good. I thought he did a good job here. But when we cut just from outside to him walking down the thing, down the, down the aisle at the church, the, he has, like, one line of dialogue. And it's, it's just very jarring. I didn't get any sense of um, his headspace until we get his monologue by the grave. And, uh, and... I guess we should probably go over what the outline of the story is here at some point. But um, for me, this the, the moments that needed to land 
that, that needed to really drive Shadow in our main character in this first episode didn't because I think they needed just a little bit more space. It's something that is very intangible. When, like, when, you, when you're reading a book, you can take as much time as you want with it. When it's you're putting that on the, on the page of an image speeds through a couple pages for you. And um, so that, that really affects the amount of time you get to get into someone's head. And so for me, I'm curious, you know, what you think about the emotional aspect of it. I, I, I get the sense that the God stuff, the, the supernatural element is too slow for you. It, well, the supernatural element is too slow in part because it's, it's one of those things in which it's sort of, it makes a kind of sense within the confines of the book to slow play it in terms of him trying to figure out where everything is. But it's just so aggressively clear what's happening on the screen that he's involved in something deeply supernatural. I mean, a guy's just plucking gold coins out of thin air. <clears throat> and it's a little difficult to say, well, it's just a card trick or to chalk it up to need. Mm-hmm. Um and so this idea that he's and the fact that like Wednesday's in the bar that he's in when there's no rhyme reason and his reaction to that is very muted in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And it's just like, let's just speed it up, guys. Just let's move a little forward. But I <clears throat> I take your point also just about the emotional aspect of it, but I've also just Shadow's not a very emotional character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ever like they the book attempts it uh, a couple of times, but it's really difficult to I never had I was never able to tap into shadow. And even within the confines of the book, again, this is something that happens relatively quickly. Um, So the fact that it all kind of spins out in the first episode isn't all that surprising to me, uh, in part because they just really want to get quickly to Laura um, coming back. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. The book's been out for 10 years. Yeah, but still. still. We'll... And she's a, she's a regular. She's a regular on the show. We're going to see more of, of, of Laura. Um, it's interesting. Okay, so we have the same response to the this pilot or this premiere, but opposite reasons for it. And I think that's really yeah. fascinating because I love the bar scene. And I do think some of that is the translation between, again, imagination and seeing it on on screen for me the the pulling the coins out of out of the air that didn't seem overly supernatural that's just like oh he's doing a coin trick like there's no reason to think he's not just flipping the coin forward from his palm that we can't see like uh the 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 thing that's cool is the coin throwing the coin in the air and then it falls back down when he's on the other side of the table like that's really cool i think that that works really well and that's the supernatural moment there but um so that that scene for me was absolutely fine, but the the exchange that we get with um, the you know grieving wife of his best friend, um, Audrey. yeah, Audrey. That the stuff that we got at the church didn't work for me at all. The stuff we got at the graveyard, I thought the performance actually was was terrific, but the the way that was all handled didn't necessarily. Um, earlier in, in the episode didn't work for me. The I didn't get enough of a sense of any connection between Shadow and Laura, or even just over the phone. I think they could have done that better. Um, I think the pacing of the dreams. I mean, do you think this is a show that they are making with any eye to people who haven't read the books? Um, yeah, I think it's part of that kind of mystery sort of 
box about what Wednesday's after, what why Mad Sweeney knows Wednesday and is in the spar and all this stuff. And then like the whole thing with uh, Technical Boy as well creates like a sense of mystery and what is this what has this con man um gotten himself wrapped up in or convict i should say has gotten himself wrapped up in and so i think that's a story propulsion for the sake of folks who just aren't familiar with the book at all Mm -hmm. yeah i I think that that sense of mystery which we definitely get from wednesday um i think that that works the i don't know just but for me there's a sense of being in on the joke that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know, I was following some of the reactions on Twitter and I saw one or two types of reactions. I saw Zomg, it's, they, they're doing such a good job, or some people who didn't like it based on their reaction to the book, and people who were completely confused and were going, what is even happening, who obviously hadn't read the book. And I didn't see much in between. Um, so there are the people who read it a long time ago and were following, like, I, either the sense of, the show was moving kind of slow for people who know they want them to hurry up and get to the story already and sh- people who were completely lost because they didn't know the story. So I would be curious, listeners, if you uh, fall into either of these camps, if you read the book and you have thoughts about the show, let us reach out. But also if you have if you have no idea about American Gods, like the, what, the, what the book is, if you just watched this pilot, I would love to hear your thoughts because I, I don't know – this is I don't have a strong sense of how this plays to someone who's completely new, fresh to this material. Yeah, and I that I don't have a sense of. I'd have to show it to my mom, and I wouldn't want to show this to my mom <laughs> because then I have to explain what happened in the Bilquist scene, and I really don't want to do that. Can we talk about the Bilquist scene? Because sure. I thought it was terrific, and mm-hmm. that's for someone who wasn't a big fan of how it was written in the book. I really didn't think it was written very well. Um, it's been a while, like a few months since I read it, but still, I was just like, okay, this is an interesting, um, okay, this is interesting. I don't know that if you had a female writer, it would be written this way, but okay, let's see how it goes. I, I think it is, it's another scene that I think they kind of got a little too fast through. I would have mm-hmm. liked more of a sense of him lighting the candles and the ritual and these other elements. Um, I think I think that scene could have should have worked even better. But I was I was very uh, impressed with the direction and the um, the performance from from the actors in the scene and in in the actual you know lovemaking and worshiping and devouring uh, that and it it worked it shouldn't work but it it really did for me. What did you think? No, I think it's really good. I think in part because a lot of that scene as written is written from with his experience very much in mind. Yeah. And which is understandable as like a gateway type of thing for that because it's one of the first like American interlude sections. But with it represented here really becomes about Bilquis and her need to be loved and worshipped and fed. Yeah, And so she's always in a position of control. Her experience seems primary compared to his. I think that's why the scene works as well as it does, is that there's a freshness to that aspect of it. And then just the way that it's shot from her appearing bigger from certain angles, but regular size from other angles, and um, this very slow, steady, um, well, not slow, but steady, definitely, um, consumption. 
mm-hmm. of the guy underneath is it's all done really really well but it prioritizes i think her experience and her sensation in a way that the book's rendition of that scene does not yeah and the book is trying to keep us very much in shadow's perspective in the human perspective so mm-hmm. that makes sense but i think this is much more successful i also really like that they give him that line about making him really gross about uh you're the most beautiful thing i've ever touched for free which is mm-hmm. really gross but they also make sure to mention that he has kids he has a family that Mm -hmm. he's not going to see again, who are going to wonder what happened to him. And uh, I like that they did include that as well. Um, I like that it's, that it's a, it's a blind date and not her working as a sex worker. Cause I think that that adds a different context to what we're seeing. And, and I would also talk then mention the opening sequence. What did you think of the opening sequence, which is again, I think a change, at least based on what I'm remembering it's a change from the book. I want to say in the book, don't they like lure out and then horrendously torture and brutalize um, an indigenous person rather than fight each other, the Vikings? That I don't remember as clearly. Um, that opening sequence is just bizarre to me in in um, in the in the in the episode. It's just mm-hmm. it's very weird. Um, it's aggressively violent in a way that i'm not entirely sure makes sense to me mm-hmm. um even if i enjoyed like little things like the fact that a flying arm sort of actually <laughs> goes out of the frame out of the letterboxing yeah. out of the letterboxing and I, I thought that was really clever yeah. but it's also one of those things where it's really clever but it also totally breaks it, it's anachronistic in a in a really weird way yeah and it it's very weird. Um, and I'm not quite sure what it's attempting to convey stylistically. Yeah. So while I, I was amused by it, I was also just like, what are you trying to tell me by this weird stylistic flourish? Because this is this is something that you don't do anywhere else in the episode. So what what it, what am I supposed to be drawing from this? Um but that aside, it's just it's a very it's a very weird sequence and I don't remember it as compared to the whatchamacallit, compared to the book in this case, um, in part because, and here's a fun fact, is I tended to skim a lot of the non-shadow-based sections of that book because they're not all that interesting sometimes. <laughs> I um, like those parts of the book, but fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. So it it's fine for what it is, and it establishes the whole... It, it basically draws your attention very clearly to make sure that just in case you don't get what's going on type of thing mm-hmm. is like, it's setting the foundation for a lot of the story that's to come. And in that, and so far and in that it's, it's effective, mm-hmm. but um, it's just, it's a very weird introduction to the show. I think, I think they would have been better served by inserting that somewhere else almost. Yeah. Well, I like the idea of starting with a coming to America and I, it's very clear why they picked that one. They wanted to start with Odin being brought yeah. to America. Um, I loved just the visuals of the, the, the pen going into the ink and mm-hmm. it, it was beautiful. I loved that. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I'm with you on this, on the violence. I don't know the purpose it is trying to serve when I, we watch, uh, when we talk about Spartacus, I completely understand why it has the violence. It does why it has the gore, why it has the artistic, um, interpretation of that violence and the, like the CGI rendering and the, the 
particular t- kind of blood and and gore that they show on that on that series. I understand why it's there. When I watch Hannibal, I completely understand the interpretations of violence that we get and, and in that in that show and what the the thematic discussion is. Here, I don't. It feels extraneous so far. And I don't it, it and the same thing I think for me is true with the end of the episode where we have we have Shadow Moon being hanged and that escalation in the narr it's a it's a big change in the book. If you didn't read the book you wouldn't know. He just gets kind of roughed up a little bit and dropped off. That is a huge, huge difference. Um and I don't why do you escalate to that level in the first episode of your show when you're gonna have to slow back down for the next seven and then, of course, the second season. It's been renewed for a second season already. But wh- why do you take it to 11 if you're not going to then hit the gas? Right. And, well, I, I um, so opening scene violence, I mean, I understand that they want to drive home this idea that he's a war god. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Uh, but this idea that there's... I guess I, I I don't know. Like I can't find a aesthetic reason for it in terms of uh, we want to show a ritualistic nature of this particular type of combat as being ritualistic, but we don't want to devote the time to the sex aspect of it being ritualistic. Mm. Um, to your point about the bilquis and the candle lighting, um, or a fetishist fetishistic um, approach, but that still doesn't really gel for me and it's it it's achieved from the same degree as if you just showed a few guys covered in blood Hmm. and then seeing the sand in the wind um so yeah i just i can't find a reason for it beyond oh we're on cable um and i'm also like how did they sail home they needed those people to do like the oars how did they you don't take a bunch of extra people with you when you have a small boat like that oh i do but i mean but I'm always prepared. You got this. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, I got this. What do you think um, about the ending? Well, no. So the ending is, I mean, I'll set it aside from like my technical boy issues and we can discuss those later or at some point um, is that it, 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 it's a very aggressive escalation. I totally agree with you in um, that they're very quick to want to either send a very strong message or kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the in- inclination is to kill him, which feels like a really aggressive move, um, this early in their little, well, you don't, you have some information. Probably. I think you do. I think you have information, but I'm just going to kill you anyway. And it, it feels like a really weird sort of, um, power move. Um, and then, I mean, there's other stuff I could get into with it, uh, that would be like a readers only sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which I won't, I won't, I won't go that far. Um, and yeah, so just, it, it, it's a weird escalation that I think that the show wants to sell us on a sense of violence of a sense that anything can happen within the confines of this narrative. Um, but they do it in a very blunt way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all really nicely staged, but it's very blunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 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 noose imagery that we see throughout the episode is very pointed. It's very, you know, the the imagery of a black man hanged is very pointed. Um 
the idea of Europeans showing up and immediately uh, on the shores of America being the first visitors, the first immigrants to America and immediately getting obsessed about their religion and like going, you know, like getting violent and destructive immediately. Like these are very pointed issues that and and imagery and historical elements that are being drawn upon the history of this country the 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 connections in this country's like all the way back to the first europeans who landed here the first immigrants who landed here what did we all bring um yes these are all very pointed remarks the episode is making but i don't know how much they're leading to anything i don't i if you're going to use lynching imagery there needs to be a reason it needs to be something that you're saying besides oh look we're using lynching imagery lynching is bad like i'd need there to be more than that and i don't feel like there was here no there 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 wasn't um and i i again all of this feels like um just aggressive foreshadowing um but it's but without the context of where it's leading it becomes really again it becomes sensationalistic um and borderline exploitive um in what they want to do um yeah it's just it, it doesn't click into any sort of ideological place for the show's perspective as unless they're wanting to make some grand statement about lynching within the confines of an American history of confines of America and American um, mythology. But I don't know that the show is necessarily interested in that. Um, And just this first episode, I don't know that there's anything that indicates that. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about some of the, at least I I feel like I should talk about some of the things that I did enjoy about the, about the premiere. There was a lot that I did. I think the, on the whole, the performances and the, the acting was terrific. As well surprise, no one, Ian McShane is wonderful as Mr. Wednesday. It's excellent casting. Yes. So far he's just playing elsewhere engine and that's okay because so far that's really all the role requires of him. Um, I thought the stuff with Mad Sweeney was terrific. Um, I love that there's already some contention over the ship name for for Shadow Moon and Mad Sweeney because apparently the fans have been doing hashtag Mad Moon for a while, but mm-hmm. hashtag Swoon is right there. That is the correct answer. <laughs> hashtag Swoon. That seems like the Anyways. correct answer. Yeah. Right. Um. So and I, yeah. I loved how charged that scene was, and because I had heard some rumblings about that beforehand and, and then i was watching the scene be like oh yeah no i see it i get it you know enjoy your ship i don't think anything will happen with it but you know who knows it is a brian fuller show so who knows what's down the line um i thought that uh i love seeing uh character actors show up so um beth grant as the the person who owns the bar, terrific. The set design of that bar was also delightful. The um, I forget I, I forget her name. The the airline, um, uh, assist like per, ticket counter person. Uh, she's always oh, great. Yeah. She's terrific. Yeah. Uh, I loved Jonathan Tucker as as a uh, low, uh, key Eli Smith, a name guys that does not work when people are gonna say it out loud. You're gonna read it in a book. It's a lot subtler. Um, 
trying to not spoil that for people. Do they do they ever but, say his name though in the episode? I I don't know, but it's all the press materials and it's people in have the been press talking materials, about it. But I don't think they actually ever say his. Okay, name. good because come on because right it, the effect gets really ruined yeah. very very quickly. Yeah, but I thought the way that they did that the scene with them at, in prison and then the cutting back to the scene with them in the workshop and the delivery I thought that they nailed all of that. Um, like I said, the performance from the actress playing Audrey I thought was was really good and. I mean, there's a lot, I think technical boy as this like kind of young millennial, irritating, punky kind of young millennial, um, works, uh, or bratty, I should say, uh, works very well, even if the, the VR goggles didn't really work for me. But, um, so for me, there's a lot of these little pieces that are terrific. The scoring Mm -hmm. in that dream sequence was beautiful absolutely beautiful the piano part line that we get there the the white buffalo with the flame eyes i thought that was very striking very effective and that worked really well even if other elements were too disjointed for me um i don't did you have any elements that that connected with you i think i think i liked it more than you did i think so um but i i I think the thing that clicked into place for me was um betty gilpin Mm-hmm. plays audrey yeah. um who we loved as fiona over in elementary mm-hmm. um but she's just she's she was the thing that i was just went i just want to show about audrey now and her whole thing that's going on um because it's just it's a knockout monologue that she gets to deliver and that is so delicately written and acted that it feels like it's something that could have very easily fallen into being too big and being really disjointed um, in terms of, and that's always a thing that happens when you have characters who are deeply drunk, but also grieving is like, it's too easy for mood swings to not feel motivated, but between the writing and the acting, that entire sequence feels deeply motivated and deeply driven by a number of things that we only have like the barest of information about. And Gilpin's just bringing what feels like a great deal of history to that really, really quickly. And it it was by far and away my favorite part of the Mm -hmm. episode. Um, But you're right about like McShane delivering slippery dialogue. What a surprise. He does it really well and it's really enjoyable. And (laughs) it's just like, I knew he could do that. And it's reassuring to watch him just do it again. Um, even if some of it is also sort of like done in editing um, in terms of the quickness of a couple of cuts for the delivery to make sure that they hit, um, is it's still really effectively done. I, I, I don't understand Technical Boy. Um, I don't understand why he's obsessed with polygons, even mm-hmm. though that's like 1970s old sci-fi. I don't understand that. I don't understand why his henchmen are Clockwork Orange um, <laughs> knockoffs. Um f- I got nothing. I mean, it's a weird, again, it's some, some sort of stylistic choice that I don't know why he would pick that um, for his henchmen, um, apart from like, oh, yeah, I really like the whole brainwashing sequence. He got the wrong idea from it, basically, is what I'm <laughs> assuming. But th- as something that's probably not going to be explained, it just feels weird to me. Um, but... Yeah, I, we'll see how it goes. But I enjoyed, like, the whole vaping with a synthetic toad. <laughs> um, it's just weird and perfect for a sort of valley brat, um, sort of extrapolated valley brat. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you did like this a lot more than I did. Um, and that that's fine. I mean, from what I understand, um, this is not the 
best episode of the four, um, which is reassuring to know. Um, but it, it tempered things really considerably for me, even if like, again, reading the book had done that, but also like the trailer they dropped um, a while ago also kind of like tempered me a lot too. Um, so we'll see. Um, I, I guess the only other thing that I, that I'm weirdly hung up on is the visuals in a lot of ways is that I, I know this is a really petty thing to say, but I was expecting something different from Hannibal mm-hmm. and it was really weird to get Hannibal um, in a lot of ways, in a lot of like it's um, colorization and in its use of um, I feel like those raindrops belong just as well as they do over Hannibal's house as they do anywhere else. And based on Fuller's um, emphasis and visual realization of his shows, the fact that so much of the style from Hannibal carried over here was just kind of surprising to me. And uh, I think it settled me into the show in a different way than if it settled me into the show, which is what I was not expecting. I was expecting to like something for the show to really grab me visually. And I just, Oh, we're, we're, we're going to do Hannibal. Okay. Okay. I'm here for that. But I was also just surprised. And I know that's a really petty thing to be surprised about considering like, Oh, we came off pushing daisies and now we're going to do something completely different. And I guess that, am I just being weird and silly? Well, I think for me, I mean, it's certainly that you talk about the the raindrops and the blood and everything <laughs> like that is 100% Hannibal. That's Mizumona right there. But the the dream sequence felt very different visually to me than Hannibal. And mm-hmm. and maybe that's just because I always do go to the 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 more abstract like 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 um the Inky Alana that we get in mm-hmm. season two and the, the kaleidoscopic sex scene that we get in season three. Like those are the visuals that I go to for, for Hannibal more than wandering through dreamscapes mm-hmm. or the, the, that, that gorgeous shot of shadow moon at like just screaming into nothingness at that state park with the, mm-hmm. the, the huge helicopter shot. Like th- that all felt very different to me and i don't based on and certainly based on what people have been saying i shouldn't expect more of that i should expect more of the very hannibal feel to the Mm -hmm. visuals that's what every review i've said i've seen has said um but i would yeah it is disappointing because this is a show that will have some of the same themes but with very distinct conversation it wants to have about what we prioritize what we worship what we love in this country and also what it means to be an immigrant to this country um, and what we all bring, what we have all brought and what we contribute to this country. That's nothing like the conversation that Hannibal was having about identity, about the self, about violence, about the nature and it's like a slipperiness of truth and identity. Those are very, very different. So it should look different. It should have a different feel. This is kind of like what I talked about when we you know, talked about the good fight. And I was like, wait, they're just going to do the same music again. But this should be a very different show. This should have a very different feel because it's not about Alicia. It's about Diane. It's about Luca and, um, and Maya. But it, mostly because it seems like it's supposed to be about Diane. And Diane is a very different person than Alicia. American Gods should be a very different show 
than Hannibal. And if they don't understand that that means it should have its own visual language, that is disappointing. And I would also point to uh, there was an interview uh, or just a little mention over at the AV Club about the originally at one point in the, at least at one point in the conversations around the pilot, um, the showrunners Brian Fuller and Michael Green were saying asking Neil Gaiman, "Well, why would?" What about why don't we have um, Audrey or why don't we have Shadow accept the blowjob from Audrey? That feels like why wouldn't he? Because he just got out of prison, this different thing. And 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 Neil Gaiman was like, oh no, no, you can't do that. No, I will lock off the show. You can't do that. The fact that they would even ask that question tells me they don't know their character. Yeah, I was about to say Shadow would not accept that. There's never Shadow's aggressively not super sex driven in any way, shape, or form. Also, his beloved wife just died. Just right, you know, like he would. That would Which never be that. something. Yeah, yeah, that he would. So that shows me you have absolutely no understanding of your main character. If at any point in your conversations you thought that this is something that would make sense for your character, and that shows more of a connection to what would be titillating, what would be scandalous, what would be boundary pushing, than what makes sense for the show what makes sense for the character what makes sense for the discussion we want to have and who knows maybe they're like in retelling they're like overhyping it and it's probably just supposed to be this like little funny aside but to me it points to larger issues so i'm a little I'm, i'm much more concerned about the show than I was after the panel at Comic-Con last year, where it seemed like they had a, a really strong handle on the kind of story they wanted to tell. The kind of story I would like to see them tell with these pieces has much less plot and is much more driven by theme and uh, and introspection. And I don't know. I feel like they, they so far, at least there's not a good balance of those two things. Yeah, and I, I can understand that. I'm not sure what I'm expecting the show to be driven by beyond... I guess I'm expecting more just plot stuff. Um, yeah. Because it, a lot of it just boils down to the fact that I, I think American Gods, as a source material, um, it, its argument is very straightforward and very quickly executed, uh, but then is dragged out for 600, 700 pages. <laughs> and... Um, I, I I wonder about how well they can make that point interesting across however many seasons they're going to do. Um, probably three to four, I would guess, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, just based on the fact that Fuller's just like, all the lakeside stuff's going to be in season two. And I just went, oh, no. <laughs> no. No, please. Not an entire season of lakeside. Um but I, I, I think that there's I think that there's a way to marry it. Um and if anyone could do it and make it work, it's fuller or really I thought. Um but we'll see going forward, I guess, is basically how I'm approaching this is with a, a higher degree of caution than I even had like when I had turned on this based on everything else that I had like consumed prior to putting on this premiere. And I actually, like, studiously avoided any sort of preview reviews about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I just, I avoided the hype as much as possible um, for this. And so I became much more cautious when I turned it on. Um, but also maybe that was the fever talking. But <laughs> I don't think so, based on our conversation. Yeah. No, I really don't. I, like the, and again, 
I would like to, if you guys know of reviews, listeners, from people, because I read a bunch of reviews after I had watched the pilot, because I was like, mm-hmm. huh, okay. Um, and, and every review I saw was from people who had seen four. And so, I, if listeners, if you know of any reviews from people who wrote the review after just the first episode, please reach out, send me some links, because I'm very curious on their takes, because I don't see, I don't see the, it's like Hannibal, only more compelling that is not here. The central character. That is, that, that is not a correct statement either. No, no. That, or like the sense that it has a stronger heart and emotional narrative and emotional. Also, thrilling. not a correct statement. Not even a little bit. Um, and I know Hannibal's not a show for everyone, but neither is American Gods. Neither one of them wants to be a show for everyone. Um, there. I guess what I just keep seeing with this is pieces, and I don't see a whole. So I would like that whole to materialize that to like to to get a sense that oh there there's something that they're doing here that they're examining that they're talking about so and that's Fuller but that's also Michael Green who I I really liked his uh his last show which was Kings which is the retelling of of David and Goliath um, starring McShane as the king um and uh there's no I mean like these are both two producers and showrunners who have done terrific work on television before. So hopefully this is just sort of like a shaky start to the season. I don't know. I wanted to be more excited. Everyone that I know (laughs) said I would be more excited that I was going to love this show. And I'm just like, huh, it's got some problems. Maybe, maybe you'll be more excited next week. Maybe I will be. Well, either way, thank you, Noel, for talking it out with me. I'm glad that we had a chance to break Population it down. Population of two. Woo! <laughs> a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the podcast, where you can leave us a comment to let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can also email us at gmail.com. You can like the page on Facebook, start up a conversation there. You can find us on iTunes with an M4A uh, chapter feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. You can also find us up on Stitcher, and we would appreciate ratings and reviews at both places it does help other people find the show and of course we're both on twitter i'm at the televerse and noel you are at noel rk and you can find me reviewing the flash for the remainder of the season over at tvguide.com and you can find me reviewing veep for the remainder of its season over at the avclub.com thanks again noel and thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the televerse (laughs) 